Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to a special episode of This Week in the CLE, the podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Normally, every day, this is a discussion about the news by editors at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. But in these special episodes, our chief political writer, Seth Richardson, is talking to the candidates for Cleveland mayor. Today, we have State Senator Sandra Williams. Welcome, Senator. Good afternoon, and thank you so much for having me. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Seth so he can start asking the questions, and I'll probably interrupt once in a while to ask a follow-up. Seth Richardson, take it away. All right, Sandra, again, thank you for joining us. Let's go ahead and hop right in. Uh, So the city is currently seeing a surge in gun violence and other violent crimes. What policies would you enact to help curtail the spike in violence we've seen over the past year? Thank you so much, Seth, for the question. As you all are aware, I spent 10 and a half years working in the field of criminal justice as a corrections officer, probation officer, parole officer, and mediator. I hope to take that experience as well as the experience or education that I received with my master's in criminal justice administration and use it to implement a program uh, similar to what happened in the city of Cincinnati called the pivot program where they identify the crime sites and they don't just, they didn't just arrest the perp and then send them off to jail. They did a, like a total systemic uh, takedown of the organized crime industry, the gang or whatever they are. So they tapped at the crime site. Secondly, they went to the comfort spaces of these organized units who are in the community where they hang out on a regular basis, where they may drink, eat, and or maybe it be a corner or, or the gas station. Third, they go to their private spaces where they spend their personal time, their quality time, where they may be holding their weapons, their their drugs, their the people that they are human trafficking, wherever that place is, wherever they are, we want to know, investigate, and get to know everything about that particular organized crime unit. And finally, going after owners of, uh, of these places that are allowing that type of activity to take place. Um, this is a longer term uh, process, but it had reduced violent crime in Cincinnati by 68%. I've been in contact with some of the individuals involved, and I hope to put that in place. But I will also say that the most important thing I can continue to do is to um, advocate at the federal level as well as in the state legislature for gun control measures. As you all know, years ago, 
over a decade ago, the state legislature took away the authority from local communities to regulate gun trafficking. So all of the power lies in the state legislature. Hopefully we can change that with the new makeup of the legislature next year and um, actually get some gun control measures, close gun show loopholes, and do all the things we need to do to make our citizens safer. And finally, I would just add uh, community policing is very important as well. As when I grew up on the Buckeye area, I used to have police walking up and down our streets on a regular basis. They knew the people, they knew the children, and our street felt safer. And so I hope to put that in measure in place again. Your experience with youth, the probation and parole and youth, is unique among the candidates. And it, in, and it gives you a prism on what drives children. Again, there's some differences between today and when you were doing that. The, there's much more of the gun violence going on today than was going on then. But, but do you have any insights that, that, that would inform your decision making about, about what drives a youth into that kind of a lifestyle? Uh, do you see it more as a symptom of, of overwhelming poverty? Do you see it as a symptom of a breakdown somewhere else? Apart from dealing with the immediacy and using the Cincinnati model, the root cause kind of thing, where would you focus based on your experience years ago? Well, I, uh, I'll i tell you how I focus, but I still uh, remain in contact with several parole officers who are doing this every day. I believe it is a, uh, an issue of poverty in our community, but I also think that it is an issue of education. It's systemic change that needs to take place. When you realize the fact that we in the city of Cleveland have a 75% uh, illiteracy rate. And when I first heard those numbers from a not-for-profit organization working in that space, it was just astonishing. Um, so we have to deal with our educational system. We have to deal with the fact that there are people out there who are suffering every day from lack of food. Some people are living on the streets. Uh, some people are not safe in their homes because of domestic violence. And sometimes this type of, uh, this, these type of problems exist from generation to generation. So I think we need to go back and change the entire landscape from uh, which some of these individuals come. And it's really hard. It's not hard to fall into this category. Um, just in the area that I grew up in, in Buckeye, there were several people who whose families were suffering and we never knew about it. We never knew some of those families were homeless. Uh, we never knew that many of the people in the household didn't have jobs because their parent or parents might've had a felony conviction which prevented them at the time from really getting a job where they can take care of themselves and their family. And if you do not provide the things that a family needs, uh, and when I was in college, it's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. If you don't provide those basic needs that a person needs to survive, then they're going to go out and do the things that they need to do in order to take care of themselves and their family. So I think it starts with education, which is why I sponsored the Cleveland plan. Uh, it starts with poverty. Uh, it starts with the whole system. And um, there's something else called the benefit cliffs. Um, that we have been studying in, in Ohio and in legislatures across the country, where once you make a certain amount of money, once you get to a certain uh, dollar figure on your job, say you make $10 an hour, the cliff is when you fall off of the 
resources that you have used to help take you that far. For example, if you make a dollar too much, you lose your housing voucher, you may lose your uh, childcare voucher, you may use uh, lose healthcare. So when people are faced with, what do I do? Do that? Do I take that extra dollar raise or two dollar raise? and then continue to have these resources for my family? Because I can tell you daycare is really expensive right now. Or do I just take the extra dollar, lose all my benefits? So you're looking at which more, it's kind of like with the senior citizen, do I take my medication or do I eat? Uh, So we're having to make choices. We need to change the way we look at when a person falls off the cliff to say, all right, you can make X number of dollars more, and we'll keep you on for a year or two until you get yourself together. So those are the types of things I would uh, look at to change uh, what we have here in the city of Cleveland overall. I want to go back to that pivot program for just a second because it does sound very ambitious. And given that, you know, there are problems with the police department, such as recruiting that are kind of at the base level, you know, how could how would you go about implementing this kind of very, uh, like like I said, ambitious program that, you know, seems like it's going to take investigators and a lot of resources to really go after some of the uh, the more organized crime elements, as you put it? Well, um when you go back and you talk to the people involved in uh, the Cincinnati program and my former or current colleague, Senator Thomas was involved at the time he was a police officer then, uh, they didn't really need to add resources to this program for investigators. They did have to train them on the specific type of investigations they would be doing into these organized crime units. So it wasn't about, I need money for new investigators. This was about proper training for those officers who were going to, or current investigators who were actually going to be doing that. And really, you know, the problem, whether we implement pivot or whether we don't implement pivot is the fact that we need more police officers who are patrolling our streets, uh, who are particularly, participating in community policing and who are ready to go out there and serve. And that's a problem that we're gonna have to grapple with for a very long time. Now, one of the programs, if we talk about education on this podcast, I'd like to talk about is really creating a pipeline, a farm team, from a program called CareerWise, and they're using that program in Colorado and several other states around us, where we're creating a farm team for people who are really interested in going into law enforcement. They can start out in the 10th grade by identifying what type of position they wanna go into, 11th and 12th they train. For me, that would mean they're young, so they can go into the call center, they can work in a ticket center, they could work in different departments Uh, within the law enforcement spectrum. And then when they are of age, we can can transition them into the job they want to go into, whether it's police, fire, or EMS. And I, as the mayor of the city of Cleveland, will be working uh, very diligently to go out and recruit people to join the police force. When I was getting my master's in criminal justice, several of the people that are were in my program actually were police officers or were trying to be police officers and they wanted a a higher degree so that they could move up the ladder quicker. So recruitment will be top of mind for me as the mayor. So the city is going to be getting a big windfall of federal dollars coming in through uh, some of the coronavirus relief relief packages. Uh, Can I get Mm -hmm. a basic line by line plan for 
you know, how you would like to spend the $511 million in stimulus money from the federal government? Well, Seth, I tell you, uh, I hope that I do have $511 million, but the city is supposed to be using the first half of that money this year. But what my wish list would be, I would start off with infrastructure in the city of Cleveland, our roads, our streets. I would uh, work with the state of Ohio because some of the main roads we have in our city that need uh, repaving or repaired are state roads. And so we can partner with the state government to try to get use our, our dollars effectively. Uh, number two, I would really focus on the infrastructure at CPP, which is completely outdated and probably hasn't been placed replaced since they started CPP. That's one of the reasons why the power system is going out. And uh, so that needs to be replaced. Uh, two or three, one of the things many businesses have talked about is the fact that they don't have the uh, the venture capital to help grow their businesses. So I would like to create a public-private partnership with some of those dollars and work with the banks who are receiving uh, city financing, city dollars, where our money is sitting in those banks doing absolutely nothing but growing, um, and use some of those to help some of the small businesses who have been established already and who just need an extra bit of help to grow. We had a venture capital fund on the state level, and I think we can create something like that on the local level. And talking to people who have tried to do business with the city of Cleveland, they tell me that is very hard and tedious. You have to go from department to department to department to get things done. And the process just takes an extra, extra amount of time. So I'd like to uh, have a one-stop shop for businesses who want to do business with the city of Cleveland and make it easy for them. And that those calls uh, can be made to us in person. We can do it online. We can do it through an app. But my goal is to get as many businesses into the city of Cleveland as possible, keep business here and expand. And then I guess I'll, I'll stop with the uh, uh, police, fire, and EMS. I've been out to all of their sites, um, not the police this year, but in the past. And one of the things they tell me they're working with is outdated equipment outdated um, buses where they're going out on calls or in vehicles that should have been retired a very long time ago. We need to update the infrastructure. If we want the best and the brightest in our uh, first responders, we need to make sure they're working with the best um, that we have to offer them. And if I had any money what? left after that, I would uh, tear down these 4,000 vacant and abandoned homes that we have in our city. And you know, a pet peeve of mine is also these brownfields. Of course, I was able to bring half a uh, billion home, but uh, we have to get this city fixed up and get rid of these uh, properties that are safety issue, safety hazards and health hazards. Let's let's uh, let's go back to something you talked about uh, in CPP. Uh, it's a topic that. We wanted to to discuss with you. Indeed, CPP's infrastructure is dilapidated. The last major investment was during the Michael White administration, which is going back two decades. the The idea that uh, is promulgated in City Hall these days is one of the reasons it's so crippled is unfair competition from First Energy. And there's some evidence that one of your 
fellow candidates has been making a case that First Energy did some sleazy things to try and undermine CPP. There's some news out today that might put some more fuel to that fire. So you're in the legislature and you were one of the sponsors of bills that would have or did greatly help First Energy, uh, which people in the city are arguing everything that helps First Energy compete is making it harder for CPP to compete. They couldn't make investment in infrastructure because they would have had to pass those costs on to their customers. So CPP has become more and more dilapidated. Could you could you talk a little bit about your role in the, the bills that helped First Energy and how your thinking went when it comes to CPP? Sure. Well, let me just say this. Um, the bill that you're referring to uh, came into law in 2019. You just said that there has been no investment since Mike White, and that was just a little bit. So Cleveland Public Power in the city of Cleveland has had decades to continue to invest in Cleveland Public Power. And why they chose not to do that is beyond me. But I think that took place way before 2019. I would also say, instead of uh, CPP investing in a Meigs County coal plant, which they are now paying for, um, we are investing in a coal plant on the other side of the state of Ohio, which the residents who take Cleveland Public Power power are paying for as a rider on their bill. We still owe about nine or $10 million the last time I checked. So if they didn't have that rider, perhaps that rider could have taken pl the place of the infrastructure that they, uh, the dollars that they needed for infrastructure, but that's neither here nor there. And uh, Cleveland is also, uh, Cleveland is also, if they go through with it, gonna be purchasing power that's triple the price of energy on the open market. So while we're going in to pay triple the price for energy from the LECO project, which I did support, the LECO, the six wind turbines out in Lake Erie, that's another thing that Cleveland Public Power did not have to do, but chose to do. And if they go through with it, they will see their bills up. So now going back to your second part of your question, I supported the bill because it Number one, save two zero emission nuclear plants. Number two, the citizens in Ohio and Cleveland are always talking about they want to use renewable resources in the state of Ohio. Some people say they only want renewables coming into their home. When the bill left the House of Representatives, the uh, Republican legislation zeroed out the renewable portfolio standard in the state of Ohio. I was able to get the renewable portfolio standard back up to at least 8.5%. So for those people who care about renewable energy, 8.5% is so much better than 0% and allowed us to keep using and requiring the IOUs, the investor-owned utilities, to actually require them to purchase renewable energy. And then finally, I would talk about the jobs that we were able to save. We had our building trades labor unions meet with all of us at their union hall on 32nd and uh, Euclid uh, before this bill came out. And they said to us, the members of the legislature, that they were going to be losing jobs. I mean, thousands of people who worked at the nuclear plants were going to lose their job if we did not support uh, labor and support labor jobs. That's another thing that went into my uh, 
uh, by voting for the bill. And then whether people realize it or not, um, if you look at the fiscal documents, because so many riders were reduced, overall bills were reduced uh, by the bill. So that was my rationale for doing that. And let me also say this, while I did fight for LEADCO at, in, while we were trying to get uh, this bill passed, while I fought for increasing the renewable standard, upping the energy efficiency standard, uh, while I fought for all these things, the one thing that I did not leave out that we still need to address is the fact that, of course, we're going to be transitioning from the old sources of energy into new sources of energy like hydro, like uh, wind and solar. And when we are transitioning into those jobs and we're transitioning out of the traditional sources of energy like coal and nuclear and natural gas now is on the chopping block, uh, those individuals who are working in that space need to actually have some place to go to work. And so that's always been a concern of mine. I've always fought for high quality uh, living wage jobs. And so just like President Biden is saying, um, as he talks about renewable energy and new jobs, we have to make sure those individuals are trained and prepared to go into a job um, with a wage that they can take care of themselves and their family. You also sponsored the uh, decoupling measure in House Bill 6, and, you know, we're part of a conversation between two of the executives there. Uh, you know, you talked with me for a story that I did about it, but I, I did want to kind of ask you um, – you know, why, why, why did you think that sponsoring this decoupling measure, which really did kind of result in First Energy getting a pretty big windfall of money, you know, why did that seem to take a priority to you? What, what did it do for your constituents? How did they benefit from that? Or how do you think they benefited from that? Well, Seth, as I said to you, and I probably hour-long conversation, we stopped and started on multiple occasions the other day. Um, someone asked me to sponsor the bill. I sponsored it. And uh, the benefits, I don't know what money First Energy or how much they uh, the benefits they reaped from the decoupling measure. I never looked into that. But I sponsored the bill. It was seconded by one of my colleagues. And it was uh, accepted without objection of over 15, 16 members of the committee. I'm still curious how you think, how do you think it benefits the, uh, like your constituents? What, what do you think it did to benefit your constituents? You know what? I'll have to go back and take a look at that. Let me get back to you on that one. Okay. Uh, so Cleveland also has the lowest broadband rate of any big city in Ohio. Um, you know, it's half of that of Columbus and Cincinnati. I believe the last time I looked, we were uh, somewhere around 40 megabits where uh, Columbus and Cincinnati were uh, upwards of a, uh, more than 100. You know, digital redlining was pretty well exposed during the pandemic. And I'm kind of curious what uh, you would do as mayor or how you think the city should address this digital deficit in the city of Cleveland. What I believe we should do is continue to try to pull in the millions of dollars that the state legislature appropriated in our most recent operating budget. And we had an additional broadband digital divide bill going through the legislature. So there are hundreds of millions of dollars available at the state level to help uh, 
temporarily, I think, or put systems in place statewide. So that's the first thing. But secondly, as the mayor of the city, I believe uh, since we are redlined, and I can tell you where I sit in my house, seven, seven houses up the street, they can get another company and pay $20 a month for the same service I'm paying a lot of money for. So I would try to uh, put out an RFP to uh, providers in the uh, people who want to do business in the city of Cleveland. They can be here now or they can uh, come here and put on an RFP to see how we can pool all the residents in the city of Cleveland who wanted to uh, opt in to our service, or maybe it'd be easier to do an opt out uh, version and use our, uh, our, our capacity power to uh, try to bring down the cost of uh, broadband service in the city of Cleveland. There's also a federal bill going through right now that would provide dollars like uh, we do with the uh, telephone service um, to help reduce the overall cost for citizens uh, who are above or below a certain income. So I would use those three things to try to bring down cost. And while we're working right now with, uh, with Spectrum, Charter Communications, uh, to provide uh, uh, discounts to residents in the city of Cleveland until we got that together, I will continue to work with Spectrum and companies like Spectrum to uh, bring the cost down for residents. And perhaps the city of Cleveland needs to use some of the uh, $500 million to uh, help expand that program to more people. Well, you know, it's interesting that you, uh, you you brought that up as well, because there's there's been talk about uh, maybe going to more like a municipally owned pro uh, program like they've done in some other cities around the country. Is that something that you would entertain? I have not entertained that. I think we own the Westside Market. We own CPP. And honestly, I don't know that we're in a space to own another company to do it. And I have researched that. And some of the articles that I have read have shown that that uh, was a, a tough task to take on uh, for a city of Cleveland or a city to take on another company, take on running a company. So, uh, you know, you have to buy the infrastructure, you have to put things in place. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out but that wouldn't be my first uh, road to take. Okay, well, as we're talking about, you know, priorities and whatnot, uh, you know, the Cavaliers got a bunch of money back in 2017 for renovations to the queue, um, you know, not Rocket Mortgage Field House. Uh, the Indians or the Guardians are going to, you know, be asking for public money to uh, fix up Progressive Field, get some renovations there. I would guess that First Energy Stadium being more than 20 years old, the, the Browns are probably going to come asking soon for public money for renovations, new stadium, whatever it may be. Uh, given all of the priorities that, you know, a lot of the mayoral candidates, you know, say uh, are very important, do you support using public dollars to help private sports teams with their stadiums? Seth, I would look at that on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, as we know, all three of our, our national teams are economic engines for the city of Cleveland. They hire a lot of people and they uh, bring uh, visitors into the city of Cleveland that has helped us. Now that is not even, the money that they're bringing in is on top of the $1.8 billion 
um, operating budget that the city has. And so I don't want to risk all that Destination Cleveland and the city of Cleveland have done to bring uh, uh, businesses or visitors into the city of Cleveland. Uh, so I would definitely take a hard look and I would sit down with them and more than likely I would support it because I want to keep those teams in the city of Cleveland and I want to continue to have the economic benefit in the city of Cleveland for the residents of the city of Cleveland. Let me, let me phrase this issue a slightly different way uh, based on the experience we saw with the queue, which was a bitterly contested uh, battle before um, Congresswoman Fudge came in and kind of brought peace to the world. The, the, I, it's getting close. They're going to come in. It's probably in the vicinity of a hundred million dollars, all told, probably 50 to 60 from the city, uh, which, which you can make a very strong ar argument for, which you just did. It's the economic development. It brings a lot of money in. It's the, the whole Indians thing, but based on how bitter it was four years ago, it's very likely somebody's going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You city administration want to spend $60 million on a ball field while generation after generation of Cleveland children have their brains damaged by lead, dooming their future prospects. If you spent $60 million eradicating lead, you would help uncountable numbers of children in the future to thrive and overcome poverty. How do you respond to that kind of divide in the, in the issue? Well, uh, Number one, you're always going to have people who don't like the city um, uh, investing in certain things. And I knew several people who were involved on the opposition side of the issue. I also wrote a letter in your paper about uh, the money. Now, if you go back to the Q renovation and you look at my letter to the editor, you will find that the money that was being used uh, was money that could not be used for uh, renovating lead or doing some of the things that people brought up in their, um, that they wanted to have happen um, in the city of Cleveland. The money that, that was used in 2017 was a particular pot of money that can only be used for certain things. So that's number one. And number two, 50 or $60 million could go a long way in doing a lot. And so we need to make sure that all people all groups and organizations are at the table. And when I spoke to some of the labor unions who were upset about the fact that uh, uh, the city of Cleveland uh, was investing this money, the fact is uh, they were upset because they were not at the table. So you have SEIU, a labor union, who has many workers who are down at the queue and probably has workers at the Guardian who we're never at the table when it came to this deal. And I think the best way you start addressing some of these issues is to bring everybody to the table. We had the same problem with the Cleveland plan. Uh, all of the labor unions were not brought to the table. Their voices were never heard. And um, as the mayor of the city of Cleveland, before I do anything, I will have hear from the residents and I will hear from the organizations that are representing the workers at these facilities to make sure that we are making sure everybody is taken care of or make sure everybody walks away with a little bit and is just a little bit happy. Well, it's interesting you bring up uh, walking away with a little bit because a lot of these, you know, sports 
uh, stadium contracts and deals and whatnot. Not necessarily here, but just kind of across the country. They've, they've, you know, sports economists even say they end up being pretty lopsided. What sort of concessions would you like to get from, say, you know, the Guardians or from the Browns, you know, when they, you know, do come asking for some kind of public money to go into the stadium? Well, I have not studied that yet, Seth, but I definitely want some type of commitment for them to remain in Cleveland for X number of years. I definitely want to make sure that they are paying the workers a living wage and uh, perhaps also really investing in our communities uh, that drastically need assistance. And I'm not talking about just on the surface, yeah, I'll give you a couple dollars to fix up a park here and there. I'm talking about real investment in our communities to help me build up the city. But for a really detailed answer, I'd have to study that a little bit more. Well, there's been a lot of talk about downtown development as well, you know, as we kind of emerge from the, or hopefully emerge from the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, but, you know, there's been a lot of neighborhoods around the city that have really been hurting for quite some time. They've been, you know, struggled to attract new businesses and residents. So what will you do as mayor to ensure that, you know, development opportunities across the city are equitable amongst neighborhoods and not just centralized in, you know, downtown near West Side, those sorts of places? Well, Seth, I can tell you that um, you're right. It's inequitable right now. And if you go to the east side of Cleveland and some parts of the west side, you would think we were a forgotten triangle. Uh, I think the best way you start addressing that issue is to, number one, clean up the space by removing some of the abandoned uh, properties that we have in the city of Cleveland. Number two, we need to make sure that we white box the storefronts that we have in our on our main streets to get businesses ready to actually move into the city of Cleveland. We have to address the issue of public safety because everybody, no matter what street I go down, is talking about the issue of public safety as one of the reasons they want to move out of the city of Cleveland. And let's see what it's addressing that issue. And then uh, just really helping small businesses grow in those communities where there are no businesses. And one of the ways um, that I talked about to do that is starting to help uh, small businesses. Right now, there are programs at the city of Cleveland uh, through many of their departments that can help a small business get up and running, but just really helping them sustain themselves and uh, helping them to uh, move into a site that's uh, ready for them to go grow and making sure they have the resources working with the community development corporations uh, to help them sustain themselves. Yeah, you mentioned a, a kind of venture capital program for businesses or a, a public-private partnership to attract businesses. Could you could you go into a little bit about what uh, what that looks like? Is it an office that is maybe downtown and kind of doles out to some of the other CDOs, or are there are there individual offices in each neighborhood, each ward, however that works? What do you kind of envision that sort of uh, you know that venture capital um, program really looking like for the city of Cleveland? What I would like to do is make our economic development department and all of the departments, whether it be planning or community uh, uh, development, I'd like to really see them 
outside of City Hall, out in the community, working with businesses in these one-stop shops. Everything that we can do locally, working with the city, I wanted to be in one particular place. And I'm not sure yet if uh, this particular program would be separate from all of the business entities that I'm trying to put together, uh, but we will definitely have uh, services within the community so that people don't have to come downtown. Maybe one in central downtown, one in the east side or the west side, or maybe just centralized where business people who fly in to Cleveland to do business can go, feel comfortable uh, being in that space and get what they need to have done. So I'll have to get back with you on more information. You've kind of addressed some inefficiencies or what you perceive as some inefficiencies at City Hall. And I'm wondering where do you think City Hall is kind of currently the most inefficient or where you might be able to move one office to another to uh, make it run better? When I am elected, um, that will be the first thing I do. I have been talking to uh, different people. Uh, to ask them to come on board um, in a committee that can help me take a look at every department, take a look at every department's books and see how we can be more efficient uh, moving forward. Um, I believe that that is something that we can do in a, in, a, in a very timely manner. And so the organization or the group of people that I put together on this team who are professionals um, will help me uh, you know, put together a city hall that is very efficient. And once they uh, give me some feedback on what they believe we can do to make City Hall run smoother, faster, streamline all of the processes that today exist at City Hall, um, I will um, start to implement those on day one. Well, we've wanted to sort of get inside the heads of, you know, how the mayoral candidates would, you know, staff City Hall and who they want to surround themselves with. So one thing we wanted to ask all of the candidates is, you know, the chief of staff is a very important position to the mayor, right? And we want to know who in the community or who in the past, who in your past sort of embodies the qualities of what you would like to see in a chief of staff or who you'd like to have for a chief of staff. There is there are a couple of people who I believe have the have what it takes to be the uh, chief of staff for City Hall. Uh, one lady uh, in particular uh, sticks in my mind, and she was a uh, a GM over a uh, national manufacturing organization, and I think her qualities helped to grow that company that firm and uh, I would be looking for somebody like her uh, to be my chief of staff. F following up on that, the, there's not a whole lot of time between the election and when the mayor takes office. Uh, many of the people in the Frank Jackson administration have been with him since the beginning and are, I think, ready to retire along with the mayor. So, There'll be, be lots of rapid turnover. What, what kind of connections do you have in the community where you think you could put together the kind of cabinet that you would need to govern? Chris, I have been talking to individuals when I'm out 
well, when I'm talking to people on the phone about the city of Cleveland and, and what some of their concerns are, I have identified uh, people who are willing to work with me and who have uh, been willing to uh, give me names of individuals who could come in, even if on a temporary basis, to make sure that City Hall is stabilized and those individuals who have chose to retire who have been there through several administrations. Um, when they leave, um, we will have people uh, coming in. We will have people ready to come in and be prepared on day one. And, you know, I have a great working relationship with Mayor Jackson, and uh, I believe that he will allow the people that I select to come in and st start a little bit early, um, just seeing what's happening in those departments so we are not, uh, you know, facing some type of uh, problem. I know the mayor has worked hard, so I know he wouldn't want his work um, to be in vain by letting the city fall apart until I can find some directors to work there. So so it sounds like you have a, a, a at least partially clear picture of who your team would be. You already have people in mind, so you've been thinking about this. Yes, I have. Okay. I have already started um, when, thinking about it. All right. One, uh, one last thing. The, the, it, when we did the editorial board endorsement interview, you talked about, um, with some pride about how many doors you've been knocking on in, in all of the city wards that you have currently represented. Um, what are you hearing most as you talk to people about what their hopes are for the future of the city? Well, I can tell you I was on the West side on Saturday and not one person that opened their door and, I mean, we hit about maybe 70 houses on Saturday, had a problem. And, but they did say this, well, I mean, we don't have any problems over here. We pay a lot of taxes, but I, <laughs> I would hope you uh, do something about the, the issue of safety on the other side of town. Have you been over there? And I said, yes, I've been over there. I live over there. And so when I'm on the east side of Cleveland, the first thing people say is, what are you going to do about these guns? Secondly, can you, if you get this abandoned house tore down, torn down, I'll give you a vote. That's how desperate people are because safety is a major concern. And as I said to you all in our endorsement interview, my family was a victim of, um, you know, gun violence. My nephew shot in the stomach while having uh, dinner in a restaurant. My niece sitting on the porch shot in the head. Her brain has never been the same. So I get what people are talking about, about these guns on the street. And the other thing we need to realize is the guns on the streets, uh, the crime is probably 95% being committed by people age 25 and younger. And so we really have to talk about how we get to those young people before they go into uh, a hopefully a short life of crime. So crime, the housing, uh, the dilapidated housing, and finally education. Those are the three things people are talking about in our community. Okay. Okay, Seth, that's it, right? We're, I, you know, I, I think that about does it. Well, thank you so much for participating in the uh, podcast. It was a delight to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay.
Thank you, Seth. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We will have a special episode with most of the candidates running for Cleveland mayor.